I don't think it would be too controversial to say um, that the planet, the earth and the world and how we use it as a human race is being overexploited to extreme and really unsustainable levels. There are countless scientists and environmentalists who, who probably rightfully so um, highlight some of the devastating impacts that human society has had um, as a whole on the environment, climate change and the biodiversity of the planet. And the earth and its, and its laws and its, its physical laws it follows is set up and created, um, we believe, by a God right from the very beginning to, to not only just orbit in our solar system until it reaches a point where it's no longer habitable um, for man, um, but he created it right from the beginning to be um, in a way that lasts forever. And we saw that um, in verse 5 of our reading. And to be honest, that is our very message of hope um, that, we, that we openly and publicly um, share from this hall um, and as believers all around the world. Our God's ultimate plan is for humankind to be a part of his kingdom, which will be on earth and it will last forever. And we will go on to show some key verses um, which support that, um, support that. But for the purposes of what we want to aim to cover tonight, here are our key aims for tonight um, in, in addressing tonight's topic. Firstly, we want to look at the current envir environmental state of the earth now and how as a society um, we've had an impact on it. Secondly, we really want to look at well, if this or all these issues are true, what are the world leaders actually doing about it now? Um, how have they really gone about to try and address some of these issues and putting it pretty bluntly how they've failed um, in a lot of ways um, to make any real meaningful change. Next, we want to have a look at what does the Bible say about the environment? What does God think of his creation? How did he, how did he educate the Israelites in how to care um, for the environment? And we'll discuss some of those contemporary environmental issues um, that we hear about from a biblical perspective. We want to look at what's God what is God's plan with the earth? Why did he create it? Did he just create it to be destined to be this inhabitable um, wasteland, such as Mars or Venus? Or did he have a purpose? And um, finally, we want to make it relevant to all of us sitting here. How can you be involved and why are we even discussing this um, tonight? What does this mean all for you and me? I'm just going to put a few images on this next slide which shows and depicts some of the biggest threats to our very existence according to a lot of the environmentalists and the scientists um, of the world. And the sad reality for many is that we're becoming, um, I guess, accustomed to these images where they start to lose their effect. But fortunately, as Bible believers, we don't necessarily hold this grim view. We do believe we have a hope, and that is the exciting reality um, for us all as believers. We have up on the screen just three images, um, which we'll touch on some of them. Um, but on the left, we have deforestation. Um, we have an example of the emission of greenhouse gases, which has um, really grown exponentially in the last um, 20 years. Um, and we have an example of the impacts of overpopulation, which um, we're experiencing all around the world. 
Um, let's change slides. Where all I really want to do is just, as I said, highlight the environmental damage that is occurring around the world, largely impacted by human society and development. Um, this study was conducted in 2018, and as you can see, um, they wanted to see or understand the impact of human population growth. Um, and the study mentioned that human global population growth is continuing to grow at explosive rates. Um, it's expected that by um, the United Nations in 2100, um, the current worldwide population will become around 11.2 billion people, which is um, it's phenomenal when you think about it. And they say these numbers are going to be linked to massive consumption and environmental destruction. The study estimated that in the last 50 years, humans have consumed as many natural resources as all previous generations put together have. Um, so essentially, we are becoming our own worst enemy. And the research is showing that human population activity is strongly connected to so many factors of climate change and environmental damage, such as uh, drought, uh, water pollution, air pollution, emerging diseases, um, probably as we've all um, experienced in some form or another um, right now with the pandemic, and ecosystem damage. So it, it's a serious, serious issue right now, um, causing a lot of problems around the world. Another example of some of the environmental damage and changes that's being experienced globally is the emission of greenhouse gases. It's something that we probably hear a lot on the news um, or even in politics, and it's always um, quite topical and up for debate a lot of the time. Um, but I just want to quickly discuss why it's such an issue, why it's so often talked about um, and why it's so often debated. Um, it's not, I don't want it to be a science lesson, um, but I really do want to highlight the importance of every environmental piece being set in its place, every um, environmental aspect being set in the correct range as was set up and created by God right from the beginning, who we believe to be the creator of the heavens and the creator of the earth. So the earth, without human intervention, uses a process called the greenhouse effect. Some of us may have heard this before, um, others may not. Um, but the greenhouse effect, along with the ocean, is able to capture, manage, and release heat back out into space. Carbon dioxide, it's, it's a minor, but it's a really important component of this process. Um, and it's released through respiration, so as we're breathing right now. Um, it's released through bushfires and volcanoes, so it's, it's a natural process. Water vapour is actually another mechanism or in another way um, that the earth uses, its, uses it to regulate temperature and it responds to changes in temperature. Um, however, the problem lies when these greenhouse gases are admitted to significant levels. Um, obviously then with more uh, greenhouse gases, uh, more, uh, more uh, heat is trapped. So the sun radiates into the earth, the earth absorbs this energy, particularly the ocean, which absorbs um, the large majority of this, and it's, it's either absorbed or it's reflected back out into space. Um, however, a large majority of this is absorbed by these greenhouse gases, um, and it sort of acts as a blanket to trap the heat and regulate the temperature of the earth. So it's, it's a really important and it's a really cool process on how it does that. 
Um, it's been found that humans have increased atmospheric CO2 concentration, which is the carbon dioxide, by 48% since um, the Industrial Revolution, which is um, quite significant um, and it impacts this greenhouse effect. And layer on top of this, um, the multitude of other um, gases such as methane and nitrous oxide, and excuse the pun, but it all makes for the perfect storm. This graph up here, um, we won't go to it into any detail, um, but I found it quite interesting um, and quite cool. Um, it compares the global surface temperature changes each year, which is that red line. And then the yellow line shows the, sh the sun's energy um, that the Earth um, feels, and it's measured in watts um, per, per square metre. Um, and what we can see is the amount of solar energy over the last, it was taking these results from 1880. Um, and what they say is that there's been no real net increase or net change um, that the solar energies um, we felt on Earth. Um, it follows roughly an 11 year cycle. Um, that's just what they say based on all the data. Um, but you can see from the red line, um, global temperature the change has been massive in the last 50 years. So it's pretty unlikely that the sun has caused this increase in global temperature um, over the past half a century. What we're seeing is more greenhouse gas emissions, more heat trapped by these greenhouse gases, and then um, obviously higher temperatures being caused within the atmosphere. And I thought for the sake of time, it might be worth just saying um, or listing off some of the impacts and the consequences of this. So we have obviously rising temperatures, um, which obviously leads to warmer conditions. Um, it leads to more evaporation, more rain, and um, the weather patterns become distorted. Sea temperatures rise, glaciers and ice caps melt, causing sea levels to rise. Um, higher carbon dioxide is found to negatively affect crop yields, um, which obviously we're very dependent on. Climate changes causes droughts and floods, something we're all very well aware of, um, and that brings agricultural um, loss as well. You know, I don't want to labour some of these points for too long because we're all far too, aware, far too aware and we're told of these challenges, but something that is personally one of my favourite animals in the world um, is this, coral, which is um, an absolute marvel of creation. Um, and it's a testament to the divine intelligence of the God who we believe. However, its beauty is really matched by its fragility. Coral has really strict um, ecosystem um, and environmental parameters to grow and to thrive, um, whether that be water acidity, temperature, minerals, nutrients, um, they all affect its, its growth. Um, but the problem is, what we're seeing around the world is something called mass bleaching events, which turns what we have up here on the screen um, into this. Um, and coral bleaching is the result of rising sea temperatures, which um, causes stress on the algae which inhabits them. Um, and the algae are what give it its really vibrant colour. So um, when sea temperatures rise, they leave the coral. Um, and what we have left is something like this, which is just a little um, example of that, um, where 
their, their coral essentially becomes this wasteland. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's quite a depressing image. Um, and what we see behind is the calcification waste products of this algae. Um, and just to make it relevant to all of us, and to give it some local or closer to home context, the Great Barrier Reef, they said, have um, experienced around 93% of all coral has um, experienced this mass bleaching at some point. So um, quite a significant um, and astronomical, um, given its size and relevance to all the marine ecosystems in Australia. Coral reef are among the most biologically, um, they say amongst the most biologically complex, diverse and valuable ecosystems on earth. And coral is more than just some underwater, um, colourful looking structure. There are symbiotic relationships between marine ecosystems and coral, um, which are also really, really impressive. It's estimated that 25% of all marine life um, which includes over 4,000 species of fish, are dependent on this coral at some point in their life cycle. So wiping out coral would be hugely devastating and disruptive to all the marine ecosystems. But it's um, not only affecting the, the marine ecosystems, you might say this is all good and well, but doesn't have too much to do with me. Um, but what they're finding is that up to 80% of the oxygen in the atmosphere and the air we breathe is from algae in the oceans. Um, and they're hugely impacted by these changes um, to the food chains and the ecosystems. So um, wiping out coral, um, just one example of the impacts that you know, long-term can have on us as a society um, and a human race. And with that, we'll just see um, more and more headlines such as these. And I realise I may have laboured the point, but all I really want to do is just highlight the impact, um, how one consequence of environmental damage and, and climate change and rising temperatures can have such a far-reaching far um, consequence and repercussions, um, which even impact us. Well, that brings us to the question, well, if this is all true, um, which if, you know, if they say everything's true, which we'll take it on face value that it is, um, what are the real world leaders doing about it? What, um, if it's such a serious issue, what meaningful change are they actually, um, are they actually doing? What are governments actually doing about it? And it would probably be fair to say that if it was off, um, good intention and signed green energy deals, then we probably don't have to have a lot to worry about. Um, and, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And I, I don't want to dwell on this for too long because as Bible believers, we don't have any political agenda or views. But for the sake of our topic tonight, we, we want to have a look at um, what are the world leaders actually doing to address some of these issues. Currently, we have the United Nations, um, and they describe themselves as an intergovernmental, um, yeah, I hope I've said that right, intergovernmental organisation that aims to maintain international peace and security, develop friendly relationships amongst nations, and achieve international cooperation. 
And if we look at their goals, what their purpose is, we can see this. Uh, goal number 13 for them is to take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. And right now they have set up this um, Paris Agreement, um, which was set up and commenced in 2015. Um, obviously they had a signing ceremony in 2016 with a nice logo. Um, but they set that up in 2015 and it was about tackling climate change and its goal was to limit uh, temperature changes to well below 2 or preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius um, compared to pre-industrial levels. And this involved by 2020 submitting their plans on how they were going to achieve that um, and then how they were going to actually adapt to some of these changes of rising temperature. Um, and they gave it a really long-winded name, Long-Term Low Greenhouse Gas Emission Development Strategies. Um, so fairly long-winded, but it, it makes sense. <laughs> However, there is a key um, problem with this. And I guess the funny thing of it all is it's not, it's not mandatory. So they have these plans that they set up um, and goals that they want to achieve, but they don't actually need to meet them. So as a part of this, it was then established that the countries didn't need to report their actions until 2024. So it hasn't even occurred yet, um, and it's nearly nine years into the agreement, and it's part of their enhanced transparency framework, they call it. So basically reporting what they're doing transparently. So um, yeah, take that how you, how you would like. So as you can see, whilst there are some um, efforts individually and um, there's some, there are some fantastic organisations that the governments and world leaders who are responsible um, from a human perspective are making some real large scale changes, um, really aren't doing, um, aren't doing too much um, in terms of real scale changes. So once again, we start to see um, problems such as these and headlines such as this. This was another graph that I found in preparing for tonight, and I, once again, I won't go through it, but it just highlights how far below even the Paris Agreement um, goes in reaching what the expectations of what the world scientists say um, would actually reverse any changes, what would actually um, be of any value. Um, but you can see that they're not even meeting the Paris Agreement expectations, let alone um, the scientists um, and the experts' expectations. Um, I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but if you are in any doubt, I would recommend doing some research yourself and ask yourself whether the leaders of today's day and age um, are actually going to make some real meaningful change um, and achievements in restoring the environment before it gets irreversible. So what, what does the Bible say? And for the purposes um, of tonight, and as Bible believers, we, um, we base all our answers to our question for tonight and from our belief in what has been left on record within the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, up here on the screen. Uh, it reads, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness. 
So pretty clearly, Paul states um, in his letter to the young man, Timothy, clearly states that God is the sole inspiration of all scripture. And we believe that to be true. So with that, let's look uh, right from the very beginning, because in the very beginning, the environment and creation was really the first major topic of the Bible. In Genesis 1, we have outlined for us the process and days of creation. In the very first few days, God is commanding the light to be separated from darkness. Um, the, the waters to be separated and for dry land to appear. God was setting in motion the physical laws um, of this planet and the earth. And with that, he then goes on in his creative work to create the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, and the creatures of the field, and then ultimately mankind on day six, which is what we see all around us today. And we've seen tonight the, the intricate design and the detail um, involved in this, in this creative process. We've seen the strict parameters for coral to grow um, and to flourish, and to be able to maintain a habitable temperature for life to flourish. Um, so when God says in chapter 1 verse 31, and God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It, reading those verses, it's probably quite an understatement. The earth has around 8.7 million species, um, which, is, which is huge, and it, which inhabits the earth, all dependent on each other, working together in a unique and complex and interwoven way. Um, all very dependent on one another. Genesis 1 verse 28 reads, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So in Genesis 1 verse 28, we read the word dominion. Man was to have dominion over the animals which God had created. And the word dominion there means to rule, to manage, to make useful, um, or even to beautify. So if we go on again in the next chapter in Genesis 2 verse 15, we also read that God put man in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. It says, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it, and to keep it. And these words really carry the connotation um, and the meaning of working, cultivating, preserving, and serving the garden and, and their immediate environment. God had given Adam this awesome, and really mankind, this awesome responsibility to be stewards, to be rulers over his creation which he'd formed. And we are to rule as he would rule. We won't um, turn these all up, but we'll put them up here on the screen. God actually instructed the Israelites in how to actually live sustainably um, when they are about to enter the land of Israel after coming out of Egypt. He was able to foresee that mankind um, and even the Israelites would be so easily able to take more than they needed. And he provides them with governance and, guide and guidance in being able to maintain the land while also being sustainable. So Deuteronomy 20, verse 19 to 20, it talks about the sustainable use of trees um, when they're besieging a city 
don't cut down all the trees. Um, that's just not sustainable. Only cut down what you need um, and what um, is suitable. Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 to 7, it talks about not exploiting um, animal, uh, animal populations. It talks about when you're hunting, only take the eggs. Don't take the birds and the eggs. Um, that's not something that's sustainable. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, talks about the man's duty of care towards animals, obviously not abusing them. Leviticus 25, verse 1 to 7, it talks about the use of the land, how they were to um, look after their land. The land needed, um, it needed a rest and it couldn't be, couldn't be abused. So even back then, God um, had a clear care for the earth which he created and how it was used and it was to be used sustainably. Um, he wanted it to be cared for. He'd, he'd created it and that's exactly how he wants mankind to have dominion over it. And that was something that David clearly understood. Psalm 24 verse 1. We read, The Lord owns the earth and all it contains, the world and all who live in it. So something... Um, David clearly understood that the earth belonged to God. Psalm 104, our reading for tonight, we can see once again um, the writer, likely David in this case, um, clearly understands the amazing creative power and the control of God um, for the entire earth. Everything set in its place. Um, he understands the power of God as seen in his creation. He saw that he, God covers, he stretches, he lays the beams, he makes the clouds, he makes the winds, he establishes, he sets up, he turns, he provides water, he waters, provides grass, he made the moon and sun, and he provides food, and he looks and touches. So clearly God is very involved in the control um, and in complete control of the earth and its environment. Well, if we want to get to our key question for our evening tonight, what is, what is God's real purpose with the earth? If we accept that he created it and he's in control of it, um, just as David did, why did, why did he create it? Why does he care for the earth? What was um, his purpose with the earth? Well, it's often a verse that's commonly referred to in this hall, but it really captures the very essence and the purpose of our existence on earth from God's divine perspective. Numbers 14 verse 21. Some of us, we know these words really well, um, but others we may not, but we'll just take a read of it. But as truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God's purpose with the earth, he wants to fill this earth with his glory. But we're reading this, we might be wondering, well, um, what does filling this earth with his glory even mean? Um, how does that relate um, to his purpose with the earth? And, and it's a fair question, and it's something we don't have time to fully explore tonight, but filling his earth with his glory means simply filling the earth with people who love him, people who act like him, people who reflect his characteristics and his qualities. Um, who value his values. We can get proof of this um, for Exodus, or in Exodus 33, verse 18. It's up there on the screen. 
but we'll take a read of it. God's talking to Moses, and he says in verse 18, uh, Moses saying to God, sorry, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So it's pretty clear cut here. Moses asked God, show me your glory. He wants to know who God is. And then we get the next answer, or we get God's answer in the next chapter in verse 6 to 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So God's answer to Moses is, Moses, my glory is my characteristics, my qualities, my, uh, my mercy, my graciousness, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth and forgiving. Turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 27, if you'd like. Because here, um, and I'll put it up on the screen, but here we get another insight into who um, God is and according to Jesus Christ. We read in verse 27, Jesus says, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You, you, ye therefore do greatly err. So, pretty clearly, he's saying God is a God of the living, not a God of the dead. And if we pull Numbers 14, verse 21, and Mark 12, verse 27, um, we find out what it tells us. We find that God wants the earth to be filled with life, not some wasteland or wilderness where there is death or physical corruption. He wants living creatures, living people who reflect his character, those characteristics of mercy, grace, truth and goodness, um, and people who act like him. So obviously God's plan is for it to be habitable, the earth to be habitable for life, a place where mankind can prosper and give him the glory. And it's been his purpose since the beginning of his creation, that creation would respond willingly to his own perfection. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 reads, when it's up here on the screen, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And as we've seen tonight, um, this is obviously not happening. We still have bleached coral. Um, but our message of hope is that this will be a reality soon on the earth. We believe that Jesus Christ will return to set up his kingdom, which will be on earth. Acts 1 verse 11. This same Jesus will come down from heaven as you have seen him go up into heaven. God's plan for the earth involves setting up a kingdom on earth where mankind can reflect his glory. 2 Samuel 7, um, it foresees the future son of David reigning in Jerusalem. And Matthew 25, verse 31 to 32, talks about all nations will be gathered before him. But what does this kingdom look like? What does the Bible say about the environment, 
in the kingdom. Well, another psalm of David um, is Psalm 72. Um, I'll I'll briefly summarise, because I know there's a lot of um, content up there, but um, Psalm 72 is a prayer for Solomon, but it's worth considering that he foresees the curse of the ground being removed and plentiful crops for all who lay before them. The mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with water, says Joel. The farmer's crops will be abundant. The seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give her fruit and the ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their dew, says Zechariah. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. There is the prophet Isaiah's vision of the desert rejoicing and blossoming as the rose. And this is our hope and our sure and near reality. Jesus' promise on the robber, uh, Jesus's promise to the robber on the cross was that he would see him in paradise a time and state of perfection. But the amazing thing is, and the hope of the Bible, that it is not only going to be the environment that's restored, the hope and promise of the kingdom of earth is that our environment and God's creation will be restored, but God's gift to mankind is that we will also be restored. And we get proof from that um, in Revelation 21 verse 4. So, How can you um, become involved? Well, this question really is um, the purpose for tonight. And and as Bible believers, we share the view that whilst the restoration of the environment is something that we can be involved in, um, there are going to be, however, many, many other roles in setting up the kingdom on earth. God is going to restore the environment to his state of perfection just as it was from the very beginning, just as he created it. However, this time it will be filled with people who love him and reflect him. So the way we can become involved is by believing. Mark 16, verse 16. It's a verse um, some of us have seen often, I'm sure. But it reads, He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The Bible's message is a hope um, and a call to salvation. And you may be asking then, reading that, well, what am I being saved from? Why I didn't know I even needed to be saved. Why do I need to be saved? Well, Romans 3 verse 23, the next quote below says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what does the verse say? All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. But what does that mean to you and I? Well, Paul goes on to say later in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 6, verse 23, which is also up here on the screen, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the result of sin? It's the consequence and the result of sin is death. It's pretty um, clear Um, reading those verses. So just with those verses alone, we can see how the Bible's ultimate message of hope is a call to salvation. 
a call to salvation from sin and the result of sin death. All mankind has sinned. All have fallen short. And the consequences of this is death. But we have an example, Jesus Christ, the Son of God to live like, who perfectly reflected his Father's character. And we've already seen that tonight God is a God of the living. People who are like him, who reflect his character all around the world. And we've seen how obviously this is not the case right now. But there will come a time when what we've seen tonight will no longer be the case. Um, we've, and we believe will be a major part in setting up the kingdom that will be um, set up on earth. And will not only be in, involved in overthrowing powers and the kingdoms of this current, um, current day and age, but we believe that as believers um, and future saints, which the Bible co uh, commonly refers to, will be involved in setting up um, his kingdom on, on earth and restoring the environment um, and restoring coral back to um, its more abundant and vibrant looking colour. Um, Isaiah 2 verse 4 talks about a time um, we can read and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So military weapons and technologies are converted to peaceful, simple applications, tillers of the ground. So just as this statue up here on the screen sits out the front of the United Nations, God will be the one to ultimately achieve goal number 13. He will be the one to take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. So as we've gone through tonight, I hope that you've seen the desperate plight that this world and the environment is in. But how as Bible believers, we do have a hope that ensures we aren't fearful. The whole Bible from beginning to end reveals his plan for the earth. The gospel's message of Jesus Christ and the kingdom on earth was the centre point of um, Jesus' ministry, teaching throughout Galilee and the then known world. And it's now left on record for us to read, to believe and to be baptised. And that is our hope tonight. Think about our leadership of this world. Do they provide any real sense of hope? And then think about and consider our God who we have seen tonight. He created all things. He is in control of everything. He controls the powers and the nations of this world according to his plan and his timeline. He is a God of the living and he will set up a kingdom on earth with Jesus as king. And the entire earth will be reflecting his glory in perfect balance and harmony. Thanks. <laughs>